Support for Innovation Hub comes from Bunker Hill Community College with internship opportunities at Boston's top corporations through BHCC's Learn and Earn program. More information at bhcc.edu le. Support for Innovation Hub comes from Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, working to unleash the immune system's power to fight cancer and help develop promising new therapies. Videos, white papers, and patient stories are available at discovercarebelieve.org. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. Here are a couple statements you probably never thought you'd hear, or at least not for a really long time. Type 2 diabetes has been eradicated. We know the gene that controls autism, and we can turn it on and off. Well, both of those statements are true if you're a mouse. Almost every medicine we take is developed using mice. We give them human diseases, and then we work really hard to cure them. And we've cured lots of things in mice. But many, many of those cures don't work on people. So why do we rely so heavily on mice to try to understand humans? Innovation Hub's Caroline Lester has been looking into it. Why did we start using mice? We just kind of fell into it. It all began in the 1900s. Scientists were trying to understand how certain traits get passed down in animals. This was before we knew anything about genes or DNA. So they were experimenting, but to design good experiments, they needed a pool of genetically similar animals. So they turned to something called fancy mice. For hundreds of years, people bred fancy mice as a sort of hobby. You could keep them as pets or make fancy furs from all the different colors. Biologists looked at these mice and saw an opportunity. They were small, cheap, and most importantly, bred to be similar. Since then, the industry has exploded. Now you can shop online for a custom mouse from the comfort of your own scientific bench. If you've ever seen a lab mouse, odds are it came from a place called Jackson Labs in Bar Harbor, Maine. Everywhere up there smells like the ocean, but the entire 43-acre campus of Jack's, which is what the locals call it, smells like mice. This is the B6 OB-OB, OB for obesity. Um, This is a one-gene mutation that these mice don't make a hormone called leptin. And leptin is what makes you feel full. So they never, ever feel full. She's on the exact same diet as everybody else, but she will just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger as she gets older. Kristen Koff trained scientists on how to use mice from Jackson Labs, which was actually the first company to make mice for scientific research. There are over a million mice in the building. They live in places called mouse rooms, full of thousands of cages stacked on top of one another. Obi is one of Kristen's go-to show animals. That's because leptin was discovered using Jack's mice back in the 90s. Now, it's one of the genes that helps us understand why some people are obese. But Obi isn't the only cool mouse in the cage. It looks like three black, three brown, a yellow, and just a no-haired mouse. Correct. The bald mouse is used to understand immune systems. One of the black ones is used to study certain kinds of breast cancer. These mice are the product of over 100 years of research. They're living organisms made to be manipulated. And whatever your animal rights qualms might be, testing on mice is definitely better than doing risky experiments directly on humans. But how often does medicine that works on mice work on people? It's very easy to cure cancer in mice. We do it all the time. But many drugs that have looked really promising in mice haven't worked in humans. That's Dr. David Sinclair. He studies aging in humans at Harvard Medical School. Well, using mice as the main model for human disease uh, means that most drugs that look good in the lab don't work in humans. And so people 
and companies have lost millions, actually billions of dollars over the years. The translation rates between mice and humans aren't so great. Cancer drugs that work in mice have about an 8% success rate in humans, and one of the only successful tuberculosis drugs has no effect in mice. Why is the success rate so terrible? There are lots of reasons, but here are a few. First, the mice we use are healthy adolescents in the prime of their rodent lives, not usually the kind of people who end up in the hospital. Second, we've gotten so good at making mice, they're genetically identical. Again, a bad approximation of the diverse humans who need medicine. And finally, they're mice. They're not us. But Sinclair is quick to insist that they're still the best we have. In part because there are very established methods for controlling their environment. We understand their physiology, we understand their genome, uh, and there are methods for, for causing human diseases in mice. So we may be stuck using mice, at least for now. But there's one man who thinks he might have an alternative. I'm Don Ingber. I'm the director of the Wies Institute for Biologically Inspired Engineering at Harvard University. My work uh, spans many areas. Uh, most recently, uh, development of human organs on chips as replacements for animal testing. When I first heard about organs on a chip, I got pretty excited by the idea of a lab filled with thousands of tiny lungs. We don't rebuild a lung. We're trying to distill it down to the sort of the simplest design features. Do you have an uh, organ on a chip in your office? I, I, I sure I do. Let's see. This is one. The chip is the size of a gummy bear and contains tiny hollow channels that are lined with cells from different organs, like our lungs or our gut. It, it basically looks like we expose them to breathing motions. We can introduce air into lung. So, for example, we have a lung on a chip and we can introduce cigarette smoke into the airspace while measuring inflammatory molecules in, in the bloodstream being released. Or we could, we could model asthma or COPD, different pulmonary diseases. And so you could do things you can't usually do on a dish. We have one cell type alone. Eventually, we might even be able to test on custom organs linked together and lined with our own cells. Is this what the future of medical testing looks like? Sleek, elegant, and small enough to fit in the palm of your hand? Maybe, but not yet. I think in the near term, we definitely still need to use animal models. For now, Ingber thinks that scientists using mice and places like Jackson Labs are making the best of a tricky situation. What they're doing is trying to improve a model that has limitations to get it better and better. What we're doing is a disruptive approach where it's sort of coming out of nowhere and saying, we need an entirely new way to do this. So why, when we throw billions of dollars into new medicines, don't we have a better way to test them? The answer is complicated, but it boils down to this. Finding a way to replicate human reactions to medicines is hard. And if you want to do it quickly and economically, that's harder still. When you think about the diseases we haven't solved, it's not our ideas that hold us back. It's our tools, our mice, that can be the biggest problem. And until we solve it, modern medicine will continue to be tied to the humble mouse. For Innovation Hub, I'm Caroline Lester. You can see pictures of the mice at Jackson Labs on our website, innovationhub.org, including one of their hairless mouse, also known as the nude. Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through Connect Invest to help you build a better tomorrow. 
cambridgesavings.com slash csb1.